Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. This morning is uh, really special for us here at City Collective. Uh, we really believe that every person and every story matters. Um, and we really get to showcase that this morning. Um, we are so blessed. Uh, we've been, the church has been here for about a year and a half and we've been, have so many blessings and the greatest of these is definitely people. Um, people that have joined our journey, people that want meaningful uh, relationships and conversation. And um, today we get to really see that. Um, perfect, we're getting this up today. Um, this morning is our week two of our vision series of boldness and blessing. Um, and we thought what better way to have it than to have five people from our community speak on this topic. Uh, last week, Jason spoke on the Sermon of the Mount um, out of Luke chapter six. And oh, I'm sorry, I got you to sit down. I'd actually like you to stand. I apologize, this is, a, this is an exercise Sunday. Um, I'm going to read out of Luke chapter 6 this morning, uh, starting at verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes are picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, but because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the streams broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Um, I'm so excited to have everyone come up here and speak. These are some of the best that I know, and I'm really excited to sit and listen and learn alongside you. So as you take your seat, um, I'd really like to welcome the first of our speakers this morning, Brendan. Good morning, City Collective Church. My name is Brendan Graham, and I'm the lead. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not the lead pastor here. But that would be a lot of fun to say. Uh, Jason does a really good job of that. My name is Brendan Graham, and my wife Stephanie and I have been attending City Collective since the first day that uh, it opened. And our lives have been changed so much just by being here. You might see our two little kids that we bring here every week. Beckett, my little guy right back there. He's almost two, and Emma's at the back. She's only eight weeks um, so as I was preparing for this, I had her in my arms most of the time, and she was sleeping on me. So um, this is my first time without a baby in my arms saying this speech. So here we go. Uh, today I'm here to discuss with you Luke 6 and 45, which reads, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So today I'm here to talk about what we talk about. How we speak really does reveal our heart condition. So how do we talk? 
How do you talk on a bad day? Maybe a little more negative? How do you speak on an awesome day? Maybe a little more positive? What about every day? What would people say about your speech? How would they describe your speech? Something I can tell you is that the enemy is real. He works his way into our hearts and into our minds. And by doing this, he inserts himself into our speech and into the speech of those around us. So I think that our heart condition is very closely related to where we place our identity. I've wrestled with my identity a lot over the last 10 years, but I think that also has something to do with going from your 20s to your 30s. I grew up in a home with different beliefs than we have here at City Collective. In my home growing up, perfection was a huge value. I, f I felt that God's love was conditional based on my um, behaviors, and I also felt like my, my family's love was conditional. So talk about a, a pressure cooker. That's a really hard environment to grow up in. And unfortunately, I've, I've kept this kind of perfection drive with me uh, as I've grown up, and it's carried on with me into my career. So as, a, as, as somebody that attends City Collective, it is standard that I'm a teacher. Um, so if you ask any, one out of two people will tell you they're a teacher. Um, and being a teacher is awesome. It's something I'm really proud of. I love it. It's something I worked hard to be. I love working with my kids. I love school. But I've allowed it to become a large part of my identity. And having perfection in the back of my mind and sinking my identity in something that can be taken from me tomorrow is pretty risky business. Um, it's like rooting your identity in dust rather than concrete. So it's caused me a lot of unnecessary stress and anxiety throughout the last five years. So something that I enjoy and I'm proud of has become so big, uh, but it's really, it's my, my identity isn't rooted in something super strong. And I also think that society puts some pressure on us. So as a 31-year-old male with two kids, I want to be a provider and I want to provide for my family. And so if you hear me talking, I might talk to you about real estate, the stock market, my next great big business idea, or teaching. All of these things are good. But if I'm rooting my identity in them, and if it's the first thing you hear me speak about, maybe I do have a bit of a heart issue. Maybe the world has invaded my heart. So some questions I have for myself are, why am I trying to conquer the world when Jesus has already done this for me? Why do I rely on my own strength? when true strength is shown by submitting everything to God and letting him take control. John 16, verse 33 says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. My heart issues might not be the same as yours, but I can tell you that relying on your own strength is exhausting and it's futile. Maybe I'm the only person in the room that talks negatively to themselves or roots themselves in the wrong identity or maybe spirals out of control under my own power and strength, but I'm going to take a wild guess that I'm not alone. So I have a few questions for you, for your hearts. Where do you root your identity? How do you speak? What are some of the words that come out of your mouth? Do you gossip? Do you speak differently depending on the group that you are in? Do you only talk about material possessions and what you'd like to buy? Do you only talk about your hobbies and your earthly successes? Do you only talk about you? Do you make inappropriate sexual references? As said in Luke 6.45, at the end it states, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. When I was first exploring Christianity, one of the first books that I read was uh, The Purpose Driven Life 
And I don't know if you've read it, but it's awesome. And I've, I've read it multiple times because the first two times I didn't get it. And uh, on the first page is a, a scripture, Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. And it reads, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I love that line. No worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Our speech bears fruit. Church, assess your speech. Have a trusted friend or loved one help you. What is inside your heart? Where are you rooting your identity? Root yourselves in the ones that cannot be shaken, for he has overcome the world. I'd now like to introduce Victoria. Hi, good morning, guys. My name is Victoria, and I serve here on the prayer and the worship. I always say that. I don't know the connections team. I wish I was on the worship team. But so I'm just going to dive right in, and I'm reading from Luke 6, 47 to 48. And it says, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and put them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the floods came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. So this passage talks about the importance of building your house on solid ground. And what I discovered is that in order to build your life on solid ground so that when the storms come, you will not be shaken, you have to surrender the things in your life that are not of the Spirit. So recently I asked God the same question. Where are the areas in my life that I have been deceived and don't even realize I need to surrender? So God answered me. And it might sound silly, but God told me to surrender Instagram and watching The Bachelor. And it might sound funny because these are such normal, everyday things. But it's crazy because we might be blind to the different areas in our life that we need to surrender to God because the enemy is deceitful and has created a society that normalizes and even celebrates sin. There are so many things we don't give a second thought to because it's normal. So I was on Facebook the other day and someone wrote, after 11 years, I finally broke and started watching The Bachelor. Hashtag no regrets. And a youth pastor commented, yes! And it's so easy to see stuff like that and think, it must be okay then. But no, for me, it wasn't. Um, what does it mean when God warns us to be in this world but not of it? He says, you are either building your life right now on rock or sand. There is no in-between. And when I was watching The Bachelor, I certainly wasn't building on rock. I had to go back to the Bible and ask God what he says. I know that lust and gossip is wrong, but I was watching The Bachelor where the premise of the show is basically built around lust. But it was fun. It was a good time to spend with my girls. The lie of fellowshipping blinded me from seeing what I was really doing. I was sitting in front of a TV every week lusting after a man and gossiping about a bunch of girls. And you might be thinking, whoa, okay, that's a little extreme. Or if you put it that way, but that was exactly what I was doing and it was leading my heart in the wrong direction. I'm not saying watching The Bachelor is a sin, but we need to be aware and on guard of what we're building our life on. And the problem was this show was affecting my relationship with God. Secondly, with Instagram, I just spent way too many unnecessary hours on it. 
It became an idol in my life. I obsessed over what I posted and how others perceived me. As much as I hate admitting it, um, the amount of likes I received made me feel good. But man, is that affirmation temporary compared to what God says about me. God says you and I are loved, chosen, worthy, and redeemed, and so much more. In Isaiah 43, 1b, God says, I have called you by name. You are mine. I knew I had to delete Instagram, but the enemy kept throwing lies in my head to prevent me from doing so. He told me that it would stop me from doing what I love most, talking to people. So here's something you need to know about me. I love talking to the people I sit beside on the airplane. Yes, I am that person. I tell my friends to pray for the person, to have an open heart, to hear about faith and the gospel. But my friends mainly just pray for the poor person who gets stuck sitting with me. Um, so, <laughs> Anyways, every time I meet someone on the airplane, we usually end up exchanging Instagrams. And one of the main reasons why I told myself I couldn't delete Instagram was because I had to continue sharing my faith with these people and stay connected with them. But I never talked to them on Instagram, and, I, and most of what I posted had nothing to do with my faith. I also followed a lot of Christian pages and told myself that Instagram was actually helping me grow spiritually. But that was such a lie. Yes, I saw the occasional ins inspirational post, but I could have used all that time in the Word, praying to God or listening to a good podcast. But I was just using whatever excuse I could come up with to justify me keeping the app, despite knowing the spiritual harms it was causing me. And just FYI, I did delete the app off my phone, but I still have the account, so you can still follow me at Victoria. No, I'm kidding. Anyways, I'm not saying all of you need to go home and delete your Instagrams right now. I believe there are people in this room who need to because it's consuming your life like it did mine. Sometimes the things that are okay for other people might not be healthy in the season of life you are in right now. We're talking about boldness and blessing as a church. And it takes boldness to question what everyone else says is okay and stop a habit you know is actually hurting you spiritually. We must be on guard and reflect daily on what we're building our life on. I'm not here to shame or guilt anyone, nor does God want you to feel that way. When he reveals things in our life that we need to stop or start doing, it's a beautiful way for us to grow and draw closer to the Father. And when we start listening to those convictions, we will experience freedom. It doesn't matter how big or small an idol in your life is, when you surrender something completely to Jesus, there is victory. The enemy knows that God has won and sees no point in trying to drag you down because he knows he can't. So what is God calling you to surrender that you keep putting off or making excuses for? Is it a relationship you need to step away from? Is it getting off social media? Is it stopping pornography? Is it your insecurities so that you can tell that coworker about Jesus? Is it your pride so that you can tell, is it your pride so that you can forgive that person you need to forgive? Or is it your busy schedule so you can stop and spend intentional time with Jesus? As for those who might be saying, I honestly don't know what God is asking me to surrender. Stop and spend time with him and in his word, and I guarantee you, he will reveal it to you. Start questioning the things in your life that society paints as normal and see if it's leading you closer to Jesus. It is the best thing to build your life on rock, not on the temporary, but on the things that matter to him, because nothing can satisfy you and sustain you more than Jesus. So let God rock your world.
Give it up for Sophia. Hi, church. My name is Sophia, and with my husband, I've been going to City Collective for about a year and a half. A few fun facts about me are that I love the arts and the outdoors. I'm really bad at small talk, and I consider French fries an essential food group. <laughs> um, I'm also in my last semester of a Bachelor of Arts, and in my liberal arts education, I've taken a few courses from every major, fa major faculty, including physical education. And so a couple years ago, I took a weight training course. In this course were some tidbits and some facts about healthy living and nutrition. So yeah, uh, such some things that my prof said to me were, you should probably avoid deep fried foods, like french fries. And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> said it in my head, of course. And I thought, don't talk about my friends that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but healthy living is so accessible, isn't it? Like all the right advice and information is available. And you know, people have panned through what is good and bad. And the average person, like me, believes that and thinks it is good and true to eat about two cups of vegetables with every meal and to exercise for an hour a day and you'll live longer, have better mental health and be healthy in general. But I don't really do that stuff. <laughs> and most of that good advice, I just take for, like I just think it doesn't really apply to me right now, especially the vegetable thing. Um, but so if I don't do it, do I actually believe it's true? Or is it maybe that the habits already in place in my life have greater impact on my actions than the things I actually believe are true in my head? My friends, don't we do the same when approaching scripture? We have heard it said that we should pray in all circumstances, that we should clothe and feed the orphan and the widow, and that we should turn the other cheek. But do we actually do these things? In Luke 6, Jesus says to his disciples, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? He goes on to say that, yes, putting, uh, putting his words into action, hearing what he says and actually doing it is like building your house on a rock. In contrast, hearing his words and doing nothing about them is like building your house on sand. The storm always comes, and the first house stands strong, and the second crumbles. I know what it's like to be foundationless and quickly knocked bound down by small storms. Um, last year, I went through a long period of time where I was insecure in my relationships. Um, people would forget to call back or wouldn't show or maybe they just wouldn't initiate in a long time and I'd be really hurt and sensitive and wonder like why is our relationship falling apart and, and then it kind of hit me one day that I haven't always been like this. Like these used to be small things to me and they would just slide off my shoulders. And it took me some time to realize that I was not experiencing the security that comes with having a foundation in Christ. The very same message is reiterated in James chapter 1. He says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, so deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and then he goes away and forgets exactly what he looks like. So when we are doing what the Bible says, we look in the mirror and we actually see a reflection of Jesus and we experience blessing in that. But if we don't put it into action, it's as though we never even read it in the first place. Aren't our small groups just book clubs if we're not actually doing what the Bible says? Our society is rooted in indulgence and immediacy and it celebrates being self-seeking. Living like this is completely incongruent with being a disciple of Jesus. You can't satisfy the demands of both, because both are demanding. 
And trust me, I've tried. Like, I've tried to read the Bible and do what it says, but then also be comfortable all the time. If you've tried this too, you know it's exhausting and mentally damaging and also unfulfilling. I have laid awake in bed so many times, tired, but unable to sleep because the day's activity was not satisfying enough to be worthy of sleep. I've thought that I've lied there thinking, come on, Soph, really? Like, this is what you're doing? You know you can do better than this. You know you're capable of more. So what I've come to realize is that massive breakthroughs, radical emotional experiences are not the makeup of discipleship. It is rather many small actions of obedience. These are what build, small, or build a strong foundation. They often require boldness, too, as small obedient steps towards Jesus are actually way more countercultural than I think we'd actually like to believe. I imagine the two people in Jesus' illustration building their house today. One spends months or years digging a foundation, laying the ground, and putting those many small bricks of obedience and time with Jesus. And after a long time, she realized that a storm had come and already passed, but she wasn't shaken, and she hadn't even realized she'd been struck. The second builder saw the first, admired her efforts. She knew that was a good idea. She knew it was a good life to live. She'd read about that. She'd heard about that. But... She didn't want to put in the time. She knew she didn't have the discipline, so why get started when you know you'll quit halfway through? And so she watched the storm come. She watched her house fall, and she threw out the pieces. Maybe she'll buy a new one. Maybe she'll pay someone else to build one for her. Maybe she'll just rent her whole life. But she'll never have her own foundation. I've discovered that even though being obedient feels risky and often too heavy a sacrifice, the alternative is that you are knocked down every single time, even the smallest opposition comes your way, and that is not a life worth living. When your world is rocked, you will question, why is it important to rely on God? Because you can't even remember what the Bible says about him. You will find yourself agreeing with cultural norms more and more, and think, is, what is the point of being a Christian besides a weekly pick-me-up and free lunches? Um, have you forgotten why? One thing I remember clearly from my weight training class is a stat that my prof gave me about building habit. She said, on average, if a person makes one change to their habits, and this is about nutrition, but I believe it applies to other areas of life too. If you make one change in about a year, you're about 80% likely to continue that change. If you make two changes, you're about, statistically speaking, 20 to 30% likely to continue in a year. And if you make three or more changes to your habit now, in about a year, you're less than 5% likely to continue those habits. So we can't just jump in all at once. It's the small changes, the small acts of discipline over a long period of time are, that are, build our foundation. Because aren't we tired of looking around and seeing this 5% Christianity lifestyle? Aren't you tired of looking in the mirror and seeing it? If we want to become doers of the word, if we want to actually experience being rooted in Jesus and standing up against storms, and if we want to experience the blessing of God in our lives, we need to take small, insignificant steps in the same direction towards Jesus. Where, what direction are your habits pointing you today? I'd like to invite up Angela. Hola, muy buenos días. Uh, my name is Angela. And of course, as you can tell, like, I, I'm from Colombia. Uh, my husband is from El Salvador. And uh, we're, I just 
happy to be here this morning. Now, um, it has been a blessing to be part of the City Collective family. It's been a place of, you know, growing together, praying for each other, and encouraging one another in this journey of experiencing Jesus. So, welcome everybody, and thank you for being here. Uh, today, we're exploring different areas of Luke 6, 43 to 49, and I would like to share about foundation and obedience. Now, I believe that Jesus is the rock, and we can think that we have our foundation built on the rock. In my case, I thought that I had that down until one day I found out that I didn't. Uh, you see, God used a situation in my life to root me in the real foundation. My parents... Uh, a couple of years ago separated and that was the hardest thing I ever had to experience. Now this was hard because ever since I was little I would be praying for them and hoping that they would be together forever and that even one day my kids would see them together. So I was when this happened it was very hard and then I became this bitter person mad at God and I just wasn't me I had no joy. People will come at me and tell me, what's wrong? Like, you have to place your foundation in the right place. What are you talking about? You don't know what you're saying. I would tell them, of course, stuck in my bitterness and my pain. But let's be honest for a moment and recognize that life can be hard sometimes. But even through those difficult times, God can use your situation to bring you to the place that he wants to bring you and that's closer to him. And in my case, that's what he wanted. Because I was placing my foundation in my family situation. You see, if everything was good with my family, then life was good. But no, that, that's not what I, it had to be. Now, I know that through this process, God showed me that this was an area in life that needed fixing. Have you ever been there before? Because when my parents separated, as I said, everything fell apart. It was like the storm came and knocked out my foundation. Now, through God's grace, I was able to build my foundation again, start over, and now like everything was better. Now, when encountering a verse like verse 46, where it says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I, what I tell you? I felt challenged. Challenge can be a good thing. Of course, it would take it in the right way. But with this verse, I took it in the wrong way, thinking, okay, obedience means perfection. But that's a lie from the devil. Boldness is obedience. Being able to follow God's word, stepping out of your comfort zone. And even though it hurts, just doing what God wants you to do. So we can see that like God's, it, God is always pursuing our hearts no matter what situation you are in. Um... I also wanted to say that I, I'm, I'm just thankful for God's grace. He, he's always wanting to bring us back to him. I can tell you that now I know that I cannot do life without him. And if we look at Psalm 121 where it says, I lift up my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Now, we have to believe that because, yes, in life we'll uh, face different situations, whether it be family, financial, or health problems. But if we know that we trust him, then nothing is going to take our joy away. Nothing is going to bring us down because we'll always have that foundation. And if he is a rock, then we'll survive through any storm. Thank you.
Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce our fifth member, Stuart. Good morning, church. You have made it this far. I am the last one. Congratulations. <laughs> um, my name is Stuart, and I have been a part of the City Collective Church for just about nine months now. Uh, I have the privilege of serving on the creative team, which usually finds me uh, in my happy place behind a drum kit. Um, and I'm so excited and humbled to be able to be a part of this squad this morning and share a bit of my story, but also share about the importance of this scripture. Is this cutting out? All right, we're good. It was the day before that I decided to escape uh, an abusive relationship that I'd found myself trapped in. I was lying awake, heading into the early hours of the morning beside a person that I had trusted completely and then been betrayed by. My stomach was churning, my body was paralyzed in fear, and my mind was racing a million miles an hour. I'd spent the last year and a half of my life building a foundation on a relationship. Feelings, selfish desires, lust, lies, and deceit. Even when every other voice other than my own had warned me of the impending doom, I chose to ignore the alarm and, and hit snooze until the alarm just shut off. And when the storm inevitably hit, my foundation crumbled and I was left with no place to call home. I know that sounds heavy, but reflecting on enduring the hardship that took place, it has only highlighted the importance of this passage even more. At the end of Luke 6, we are provided with the image of the building process or the construction process of a house. This house, is it because I like my, I'm tall? So, so no. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> this house represents the lives that we all choose to build for ourselves. Along with this image is a reminder that merely hearing the words of God and not doing them will leave our house unprepared and unable to navigate the storms of life in a healthy way. For the one who hears God's word and walks the talk, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood arose, the stream broke against it, and that house could not shake. But on the flip side, we have the one who hears God's word and does not listen. He is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, and when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. As I read through this passage, there are a few things I'd like to highlight for us. Firstly, that the imagery of this passage, as impressive as it is for us, would be especially so before its intended audience that was accustomed to the fierceness of Mediterranean tempests, which are violent and windy storms. These storms were known to have winds called Levantes that were not confined to just a single point but they would blow in all directions, causing unpredictable changes in water patterns. This is nowhere comparable to our West Coast rain, where on a bad day we have to put on our rain jacket and our blunt stones, and we already had those in our car anyways because we're used to it. 
Secondly, I realize that as Jesus is providing us this image, there's a stark difference between hearing and listening. Hearing words and doing nothing about it means you aren't listening at all. Hearing words and doing nothing about it means you aren't listening at all. I feel that as a fellow teacher, this is proven to me on a daily basis. All right, class, uh, let's tuck away our work. Please put it in your math section, and you can get out your snack. Recess is in about five minutes. Mr. Warnock, uh, when's recess? Uh, recess is in about five minutes. C can I get my snack out? Yes, I just said that. <laughs> Mr. Warnock, how many minutes till recess now? <sighs> Half an hour. I now just spout out random times, and they're always thrown off. Can we go to PE now? When are we going to PE? Tomorrow. What? Are we not having PE? <laughs> I don't know if that's good practice. My principal's here today, so. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> I realize that as Jesus is providing us this image, I just said that. Lastly, regardless of what we choose to build our house's foundation on, does not alter the course of the storm. What we choose to build our houses on doesn't change whether a storm is coming or not. In Luke 6, verse 48 to 49, it's not a matter of if the storm will arise, it's when. When the flood arose, when the stream broke against the house. God doesn't promise us a life completely storm-free, but He does promise that when the storms do come and we listen, we discover a life where we are not easily shaken. The storm in my life had passed, and even though the cycle of abuse had ended and I had escaped it with my life, the ruin of my house was great because I had not built it on the right foundation. In my darkest hours, I knew that I could only lean on the promises of God, that He is faithful, that He is true, that He knows exactly what we need and will provide for us. These are truths about God that I had heard my whole life, and for the first time, I actually had to put believing them into practice. God's blessing looks different for everyone. For me, blessing looked like a safe place for me to land in order to start building a foundation again. Bringing individuals into my life who had to speak harsh truth to pull me out of a pit when I could not do it myself. To provide me a place to live. Then walking into a job that I now love and a church family that I can call home. So, when the storms of life come, will, will you be prepared? Will have you built your house on the wrong foundation, or will you have secured your house on the rock? I want to leave us with a verse from the hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, as a, as a declaration over our lives as we desire to live and move forward with boldness and blessing that only God can provide. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ's solid rock I stand, not all other ground is sinking sand. It's not a matter of if the storms will come, it's a matter of when. They will be violent, they will be unpredictable. And as we move forward with boldness and blessing, for some of us that might mean confronting the storms in our lives right now and actually being honest with ourselves about them. God is going to speak to you. He has spoken to me, 
when I've needed it most, and it was only a matter of if I was going to decide to listen or not. But hearing God's words and doing nothing about it means you aren't listening at all. So how could the storms we face look differently if we start to actually listen to God's word? I challenge you to take time today to honestly reflect on your life, what you're building your foundation on, and if you're listening to the counsel of God's word. I'm going to close this in a in a and then uh, we are going to worship together. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, the stories we have heard, the vulnerability, the honesty that we have heard from the five of us sharing. But more importantly, Lord, that we have seen how your truth is highlighted in the midst of the chaos, the crisis, and the difficulties that we endure. God, you are faithful. You are true that you love us, that you make a way for us to, to stand unshaken in the midst of our trials and our tribulations. And I pray that for all of us, that we would begin to honestly seek you, to honestly listen to your voice. And even if we're confused about that, to take steps in, in understanding what that looks like. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've heard a lot of awesome things this morning, and that is a wonderful cause for us to worship together. So I will invite us to rise and get back up there. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.